0: Rome was a city much like Chicago. There were slaves and the very poor and there was the extremely wealthy. There was entertainment. There were bathhouses that you could go and have any kind of sexual encounter that you want with men, women, or children in Rome. In fact, uh, the taking on of a boy child, uh, the Emperor Nero, actually took on a, a a small boy to be his husband uh, in the time that Paul was writing this letter so there was sexual sexuality that equals or compares the sexuality that we have in Chicago there was violence there was bigotry there was injustice everything that you see in a big city like ours there was riots and uh, there was uh, people that were crucified and killed and executed the masses needed to be entertained and so in the great colosseums, they would have their version of a reality show but in their version of the reality show people would end up dead slaughtered MMA to the next degree And so Paul is writing to a big city where people are trying to understand what it means to be Christian in a society that's very non-Christian and writing to people that need the power of God. And it's interesting that he talks to them in verse 18. I'm going to be looking at verses 18 through 31, and we can't go verse by verse in all of this, but there's a couple concepts He talks about and I'm going to begin reading in verse 18 it says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. The first thing that the Apostle Paul says, he talks about the wrath of God. Now, you may not have heard much about the wrath of God. And even when I say the word wrath and God together, to some of us, it shocks our system a little bit. Because when we think about God, and oftentimes consider the God of the universe, we think of words like love and acceptance and mercy and compassion, but not the word wrath. That seems like it doesn't go hand in hand with who God is. But Paul explains the wrath of God, and here's what I want you to understand. I want you to know that before you can understand the good news, you have to understand that there is bad news first. The gospel means good news, but good news for what? Well, unless you understand the bad news, then the news of the gospel will not be good news. Are you tracking with me? If I were to tell you, come excited to your house and knock on your door and say, hey, I have great news for you. Wow, I'm so excited to share for you. We found a cure for diabetes. And you're like, well, that's nice. But I were to say to you, no, no, no. What you don't understand is that you have diabetes and all these symptoms that you've been feeling and all this. All the sickness that you had in your life is leading you almost to the point of death. And you see, if you don't know you have diabetes, then the fact that we found a cure for diabetes is not great news to you because you didn't even know you were sick. If I were to come to you and give you a phone call and say, hey, I got great news for you. There's $100,000 that has been given to you to wipe out the debt that you owe to the IRS. And you would say, what debt? Oh, I didn't know I owed $100,000 to the IRS. Well, you see, it's not really good news unless you know the bad news first. And you see, this is what happens with the gospel. Many of us don't understand how good the gospel is because we haven't understood how bad we are. We have not understood our condition. We have not understood how much we need the rescue of God in our life. We didn't know we were drowning. So the fact that someone has thrown us a lifesaver doesn't seem like it's great news because we weren't aware that we were drowning. Much of our society today has a disease, a deep-seated disease. Most of humanity is Drowning in this disease and desperately needs the good news, but we're not aware that we need the good news because we haven't seen how desperate we are in the condition of our soul. And Paul says to these Romans, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. The the wrath of God. Uh, What is wrath? Wrath is an old English word defined in the dictionary as deep, intense anger and indignation. The Bible tells us that the wrath is an attribute of God, that God's wrath has been kindled, that God's anger has been stirred, that his indignation has been raised up. Well, what has stirred up the anger of God? What has caused the wrath of God to explode like a volcano? What is it on earth that has caused God, this this God of the universe that's also described as a loving God, what has caused him to become enraged? Well, it's the sin of mankind against his holiness. It's our disobedience to God our unwillingness to follow his ways, our choosing to do our own thing. And he goes on to describe the wrath of God. Most of us here believe in a loving God, and God is loving. But if we only see one side of God, we've ignored that God is just and holy as well, and his justice and his holiness demands payment. A survey of of Americans has revealed to us that Only 59% of Americans believe in hell, whereas 79% of Americans believe in heaven. That we're more likely to believe in heaven and less likely to believe in hell. That we can conceive of a God that gives rewards, but we can't conceive of a God that brings punishment. That we believe that there is a heaven, a better place, but that it's hard for us to believe that there is a hell a worse place. And it has to do somewhat with our distorted view of who God is. Psalms chapter 7 verse 11 says God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. Psalms 38 verse 1 says, "O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath." Romans chapter 5, this very book, verse 9, says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's what? Wrath through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. What God says of people that don't know him, people that have not experienced his washing and his cleansing, that our sin is has evoked the wrath of God. And in our sin, we have become enemies of God. Now, most people on the street, if I were to interview them and say, are you a friend of God or an enemy of God? Most people would say, well, I consider myself a friend of God. But the truth is that the Bible tells us that all those that live in sin and walk in sin, all those that have not been washed or cleansed, that we have made ourselves enemies of God. Our sin is a direct violation of God's holiness. Our sin is directed against God. Our sin is rebellion against the holiness of God. And so therefore, our sin has made us enemies of the God of the universe. And so Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. This is a tough passage. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And you say, well, who is that wrath against? Well, it's against three people, three types of people. Ultimately, it's against anybody that puts God not as supreme, but has idolatry. Idolatry is anything in your life that you make bigger than God and serve. You see, it was... W.E. Vines that wrote this, man is essentially constituted a worshiper. If he abandons the worship of God, some other object will be found to take the place of the creator. Uh, Do you understand what he's saying? Everybody worships something. I run into people once in a while and they say, well, pastor, I'm not religious. I can guarantee you that even if you're not religious, you worship something. I run into people that tell me they're atheists. Even atheists are worshipers. It just depends on what you worship. You see, some people worship themselves and they're at the center of their universe. That means they are the most important person in the world and they put themselves above anybody else. Uh, Some some people worship fame. Some people worship the almighty dollar. Uh, Some people worship pleasure. Some people worship their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Uh, Some people worship happiness, and that becomes the main goal of their life. I just want to be happy no matter what. We all worship something. We were created by God to be worshipers, and when God is not at the center of our worship, then something is at the center of our worship. This is what Paul says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. When God is not God in our life, then we suppress the truth. Do you know what it means to suppress? It means to push down. Uh, To suppress means that we don't let it come up. We know it's there, but we keep pushing it down, pushing it down. Has that ever happened to you? You suppress the truth about something. Uh, You know you're getting in debt. You know your finances aren't doing well, but you just kind of push it down. You try to act like it's not there. Every time it pops up, you push it down. You know you're unhealthy, getting overweight, your heart's working too hard, and every time you think about it, you just try not to think about it, so you push it down. You suppress it. You act like it's not there. You know that your husband is getting more and more distant from you, and it seems like he's getting further and further apart, and you, you suspect in your mind that maybe there's someone else, or maybe he's going, but you suppress it. You push it down. You keep acting like it doesn't exist, and that's, we know the truth, but we suppress the truth, and what Paul says is many of us are like that way about God. We know that God is there. We know that he's the God of the universe. And we know that he should be the center of our life, but we suppress that thought. We keep pushing it down. And some people say, well, there's a lot of people that don't know about God. So how, if you don't know God and you've never heard the truth, how could you be held accountable for something that you don't know? Look what it says in verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, they have been seen clearly being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. What God is saying is that the fact that you're born in this world, you can tell that there is an eternal God by looking at the universe and creation. You can tell several things about, you can tell that there's eternal power and there's divine nature just by looking at creation. Do you realize that every tribal group in this world, every country in this world, you go to Asia, China, you go to Australia, You go to the deep jungles of Amazon. You can go to uh, Europe and enter into Austria. You can go into Siberia you can go to the Himalayas, you can go to Nepal, that every country on the face of this earth, disconnected people that speak different languages, that have a different skin color, that have never communicated with one another in the last several centuries, that every tribal group, every people on the face of this earth believes in some divine power, them that there was a God. Oh, they believe different things about God. And some believe, and they worship the God of the sun and the moon. And some believe that somehow he's reincarnate and he has power, but every tribe and people upon the face of this earth, believes that there is a divine creator God, a power of the universe. They're disconnected, different cultures and different languages. There is not a tribe or people on the face of this earth that is considered an atheistic people that does not believe in the supreme, divine power of a creator God. Where did they learn that from? The Bible says they are without excuse because creation itself teaches them there is a God. Oh, you don't know just by looking at creation that his name is Jesus. But looking at creation, you know he's a God that is a God of order. Order. Is a god of power. Is an ancient god who's been around for a long time. A creative god because there's colors in the universe. An intelligent god because the eyeball itself is a mechanism very difficult to describe and understand. The order of the universe. The process of photosynthesis that happens throughout nature. How carbon monoxide is changed into breathable oxygen to us and how that works in the universe. Creation itself tells us this is a God of patterns, a God of order, an intelligent, supreme God that cannot be denied. And Paul says, no man is without excuse. There is a God, a supreme God, a God of the universe. And once you've determined that, you're an agnostic. You know there's a God up there. Now you need to say, well, who is the name of that God, and how does he operate, and how does he work? But you are without excuse in pursuing this God of the universe. And Paul says, we find ourselves without excuse if you go down the road of seeking God. Lee Samuel says, many missionaries point out that the heathen know more than what we think. They know that there's a God. There's no atheist among the heathen tribes. There's never been discovered upon earth a tribe of people, however small or depraved, which has not believed in some kind of God or had some kind of system of worship. The heathen seem to know that their sins must be punished. They seem afraid of punishment, afraid of death. They know that sin must be atoned for, and they seek ways of appeasing their angry deities or deity without even having ever read the Bible. Secondly, Paul tells us that the wrath of God comes upon us when we know about God but refuse to give him glory and thanks. Verse 21 says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That although we know about God, we refuse to glorify him as God. To glorify means to give him the rightful place in our life, to elevate him. Oh, how many people here in this nation Know about God. Uh, We don't have a nation that is ignorant about God. There are bookstores that promote Christian books, and there's Bibles more accessible in this nation than almost any other nation on the face of this earth. You can turn on radio and hear the Bible taught and the gospel preached. You can turn on television and find it. You can download a podcast and discover it. You can get on the internet and there's thousands of YouTubes in which the gospel is presented. There are church steeples that spot the landscape of our city, Uh, all you have to do is look over Chicago and you will see the steeples popping up throughout the neighborhoods around Chicago, evidence that there are houses and places of worship that are talking about God. Yet you look at our nation and you look at Chicago and you look at our population and you have to ask yourself this question. Although we are overexposed to Christianity, how many of us have known but refused, refused to glorify him as God and give thanks to him. If we were ignorant, we'd have greater excuse. If we didn't know, we'd have a greater excuse, but we know when we choose not to. We have heard the message, but we refuse it. We have heard that God is good. We have heard that there's a creator God. We've heard the message of the cross, but yet we do not glorify him as God and we choose not to give thanks. And this is what he says. They neither glorified him as God nor given thanks to him, but their but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Because when you know the truth and you refuse to obey the truth and acknowledge the truth, and what the Bible says is that God gives us over to a darkened way of thinking. Notice what it says in verse twenty-two. That third point, when we make God in our own image, verse 22 says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. What Paul says is that when we know God but don't worship him as God, when we know God but don't follow him as God, is that God allows our heart, our mind to start becoming darkened and are thinking to get foolish. And the more you reject God, the darker your thinking becomes. And the more you cease to glorify God, the more your mind starts going further and further down a spiral of darkness. The more you say no to God, the more you resist God, the more you push back against God when you've known the truth. How many people here heard the truth when they were little kids? And you had a faith and believed. But as you grew up, you refused to follow that, live that way. And you find yourself at the age of 35, at when you were young and innocent. You believed and you knew. And now, 35 years later, there's a hardness, a darkness. You look back and see a lot that you've done and said, how did I do that? Because our hearts have become hard. And then what Paul tells us is this. He tells us, verse 24, Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies, he goes on and he says in verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, greed, and depravity. Here's what he says in verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not ought to be done. What it tells us in the scripture is that Although we knew God, the wrath of God has come upon us because although we've known the truth, we've rejected the truth, pushed away from the truth, not set God in his rightful place, and so the wrath of God has come upon us. This wrath that is not an unjustified wrath. This wrath that some people say, well, it's unjust that God could ever send anybody to eternal damnation. Oh, it's not unjust. It's what is just. It's what is right. That a holy God cannot stand to have impurity in front of him. It's what should happen. It's the grace of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the love of God that gives us the opportunity to be washed and cleansed and come into relationship with him. That is mercy and justice and compassion. I don't have time to get into all these verses, verse 20, 24 through 31. But in essence, what Paul says is because we've rejected God and not glorified Him that way, that God has given us over to our sin. What kind of sin? Shameful lusts that begin to dominate our lifestyle. People become addicted to pornography, perversion, an insatiable desire can't stay married because their eyes wander and they go from woman to woman or man to man. Why? Because the Bible says God gave them over to sinful desires in which we don't keep our purity anymore. Unnatural sexual lusting that, that, that goes against Contrary to nature. And he, and he says, You've been given over to that. Why? Because you didn't receive God as God. Our minds spiral downward into dark thinking, it says, into depraved minds. And we go darker and darker, deeper and deeper, further and further away from God. And our lifestyle becomes full of every kind of spiritual distortion. And he describes what happens to us. He said, They have become filled with envy. And wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They destroy, they disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree and those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things but also approve of those who practice them. See, the wrath of God has come upon humanity. You say, well, pastor, this is pretty depressing. This is like bad news. Oh, you see, you'll never understand the good news until you understand the bad news. The bad news is that your sin and my sin have condemned us to eternity without God. The bad news is that you can't be good enough to make it to God. The bad news is that all our good works are as filthy rags before God. That you could try right now for the rest of your life and not sin one time for the rest of your life for the next 20 years, a miracle would happen that you would never sin, lie, lust, deceive, have pride and live a perfect life from now on and you would still be eternally condemned to live apart from God. Why? Because nothing perfect will make it before the, into heaven. Nothing unless it's perfect will come before God. That's why you need Jesus. As I said last week, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. There is no way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who died on that cross. It is Jesus who paid the penalty. It is Jesus who said, I will take his envy, his lying, his lust, his cheating, his adultery, his fornication, his homosexuality. I will take it all upon myself. It is mine. I take it upon myself. And now because of my blood, anybody that comes to me, anybody that's willing, I will give them the gift of forgiveness so that my blood will cleanse them and wash them and the gift of the Holy Spirit that will change him from the inside out. You see, that's the good news. The bad news is we're all under judgment. The bad news is the wrath of God has come upon all of us. The bad news is that none of us can make it into his presence. The bad news is the wrath of God like it did in the days of Noah is ready to obliterate humanity. The good news is that Jesus stands in the place and says, God, I will take the price. I've paid the price. I'll take the shame. The good news is that Jesus has become our righteousness and the wrath of God has been poured upon him. The good news is that your sin can be washed through the sacrifice of Jesus. The good news is that when God looks at you and you've received the gift of eternal life, he doesn't see your past. He doesn't see what you've done. He sees the righteousness of Jesus imputed to you. He sees you washed and cleansed and perfect before him. The good news is if you've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, when God sees you now, he doesn't see your past. He doesn't have, the wrath of God is not upon you. The love of God showers you. The Bible says that while we were still enemies of God, he yet called us and loved us. The good news is that God Although we deserve condemnation, the good news is God says, but I love you. I've made a way. There's a way that you don't have to experience my wrath. There's a way that you can walk in cleansing. I know how deep and dark your sins are, but there is a way. His name is Jesus. It's offered to all who are willing to take it. There's only two things that he calls us to do, to repent and believe. We have to believe the simplicity that this man died on the cross and he was all God and became all man and that through his blood the price has been paid. You have to believe that. You You can't become a Christian without believing that he was all God and became all man and that his death on the cross gives you the ability to receive forgiveness and then you have to believe it enough to say, I believe it and because I believe it, I turn away from the ways I'm living and I choose to live God's way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, now, when he rose from the dead on the third day and ascended into the heaven, once he had done that, he said, now... Go and make disciples of all nations. Tell everybody on earth that there is a way that they can come to God. There is a way that they can change. There is a way that they can be made new. Tell the good news to all this world. There is a world that's dying without this good news. Spread it to everybody that you hear. Go ye there and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that have commanded you. You believe and you repent, and you receive that gift. It's a gift of faith. It's followed by the step of baptism. Baptism shows physically what's happened spiritually. Baptism takes you into the water. You go down into the water, and when you come out of the water, it's symbolic that the blood of Jesus has cleansed you, that you've been washed and forgiven and cleansed, and now that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you to make you a new person.